funny you say, you know, cash is cash is dirty right now. Cash has been dirty for a long, long time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's nasty. Um, but I think COVID uh, clearly has has brought that nastiness to our attention um, more acutely and is you know, kind of generally encouraging everybody to realize that, okay, how do we, how do we just reduce the risk of, of, of spreading this thing? Um, if, if one way we can do so right. is to just reduce our contact with, with money, with paper money that's traveled through we don't know how many markets, how many hands, well, let's do that. another week another episode hello and welcome to the aou podcast entrepreneur leadership in africa where we explore more on being a bold entrepreneur leader i'm your host savannah olo and today i have with me hama tulaye diallo hama tulaye or brahma for short is an award-winning leader with 22 plus years of experience building up people and teams as an entrepreneur entrepreneur and an investor She's also the CEO of Orange Finances Mobile Senegal, Director of Digital Finances Services, Orange Sonatel Group, Non-Executive Director of CECOM. I believe I got that right. So today we highlight the future of mobile money, leading change in times of adversity. Take a hint, that's an article that she published on LinkedIn some time back. And some things, some things that are near and dear to her, such as women empowerment and embracing motherhood or finding places or spaces in which we can include ourselves. So Rama, thank you so much for being with us today. Maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us more about who you are and how you got to learn about EOU. So to your question, I'm going to start with um, the second part, which is how I know ALU. Right. Um, I've actually known the AL group uh, pretty much from the beginning. I've known Fred for a long time. And when he was starting um, his various ventures that are all now under the group, um, we, um, we, we, we both lived in Johannesburg at the same time, around the same time. Right. I was um, starting Endeavor South Africa. And so, yeah, so I've followed the journey um, and the mission, and it's something that I very much, uh, first of all, I'm proud of all the work that um, the group has done over the past um, years, and um, and I'm also just very much aligned with its vision um, for Africa, and, yeah. and, 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 and Fred and team are clearly focused on, on pushing that forward every day. So for me, um, it's a pleasure, honestly, to, to be with you. And ALU being um, a relatively newer addition to the to the AL group family, um, I think has a, has a you know real sacred mission in terms of um, educating um, Africa's leaders and doing it on African soil. Um, so I think that's that's really exciting. Um, then in terms of your first question, something that's not on the internet. Um, that I'm a, a big foodie. I um, actually, you know, used to have a food blog, which is no longer on the internet. Oh no! <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a big food food fan. Yeah. Um. So yeah. All right. So um, tell us more about yourself. Um, uh, maybe something we might have not mentioned in the introduction. Uh. Obviously, you're a foodie now, but now we know we can relate to you. <laughs> you, you, brought us, <laughs> you brought us closer to you. Uh, yeah, so maybe introduce further about yourself. Tell us about what you're about or your experiences um, in the industries that you've been in. 
Um, well, you know, to kind of summarize um, w- what I'm about, I mean, I'm, I'm very much, um, so I was born and raised in Senegal, um, but my life and career have taken me all around, um, whether it was to, to the United States, but also to other African countries and to discovering other African cultures, my brothers and sisters all across the continent, either um, places I have lived for a long time, like Nigeria and South Africa, or places I have um, visited for work or for for pleasure. So um, I very much, if there's one thing I think that um, that is so dear to me is um, I very much see myself uh, as obviously very deeply rooted in where I come from in West Africa, in Senegal, and you know going back to actually the 1800s. Our ancestors came from Guinea. That's a whole other story. But um, it just further roots me into very much, um, you know, West Africa as my home. Um, but I see it as a place to grow from as a, as a you know, tree sort of reaching for the sky and embracing, uh, if there's an image I would use, and embracing the rest of the continent. So, so um, all things um, that have to do with um, developing our, our continent and working on finding um, real solutions for our continent, are, those things are dear to my heart. I mean, we'll come back to some of those things, but um, you know, really using technology and our know-how and our experiences um, to create solutions that um, that are solutions to actual problems, not just sort of um, nice to haves or things that we copy from from elsewhere. Um, and you know, closely related to that to that mission um, as well for me is really um, you know fully kind of realizing myself as an African woman and then um, using whatever bit of resources I do have. Yeah. to um you know keep the doors open that I had open for me keep them more open um kick them down if possible and then open some other doors for those coming behind so for me um what I call sovereignty for african women is something that's incredibly um dear to my heart and again we can talk more about it but it starts with working on oneself and then being able to um to to, to really be a part of the conversations or to sit at the tables where key decisions um, are being made, uh, capital is being allocated, solutions are being designed that are, that are going to have a real impact on us now, um, but also on, you know, on our children uh, for, you know, in the years or decades to come. Right. All right. So... Um based on your experiences that we've seen, um, you're very passionate about um, the digital, how, how digitization is evolving and, you know, coming into management, finance management as well. So in December 2018, you spoke about the future of cash at the Dakar Digital Show and also at the Innovation Africa Digital Summit in Addis. So please be share with us um, your opinion about the future of cash and the digital finance on the continent. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the interesting thing is I always say cash is our, you know, most, um, most relentless, you know, competitor or, or perhaps cash will view us as the ones who have come to the party now to compete yeah. with it, given that it's been around. And it's been around, obviously, for a very long time because it serves a real purpose. 
um, and um, and responds to the needs of the customer. So um, whatever digital um, tool um, finance uh, wants to modernize itself with will have to compete with cash in terms of um, you know just how its ease of use, its availability, um, right. uh, its transferability. So you know what we need to bring on top of that is is probably things to do with security, um, and um, and so. When I think about the the future of cash, um, I don't think it's something that is going to completely disappear, and perhaps that's not even the the purpose. But the purpose is how do we further include financially, um, and obviously that goes through digital inclusion first. Right. Um, there's no question that in our parts of the world, um, the, you know, the, the the banks have, you know, depending on the country, have done more or less of a, of a good job, but to really reach um, scale and to include as many people as possible into um, the, the, the traceable economy, let's, let's call it that. I don't really like to call it formal versus informal. That's a whole other debate, but let's just at least call it the traceable economy. Um, the, clearly that has, the, 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 the industry that's been able to take the baton from the banks and go furthest um, so far, it's been the, the telcos via mobile money. Yeah. But even that, I mean, if you look at mobile money, it's only 12 years old, which in terms of an industry is actually incredibly young. So um, for me, that's extre- extremely exciting. That means that there are far more pages to write in this history that than have been written so far. Um, and we can, we can, we can certainly also, and this is exciting, be a place of, of leadership and innovation because when it comes to mobile money, when it comes to, um, financial services in the phone, um, you know, Africa is definitely the leader. So this is one aspect, one part, one corner of technology or applications of technology where we're the leader. Um, and we actually do have an opportunity to continue to lead and innovate all across the continent. As you know, if you put um, Orange, Orange Money, uh, Momo Cash, and 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 M-Pesa together, I mean, our you know customers are 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 still, if I'm not mistaken, just maybe in the hundred million or so. Um, uh, active customers, yeah. maybe a, a bit more. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but it's definitely not a billion. It's not 500 million. So um, given the population, given the active population, um, given how young our population is, and especially how deeply penetrated it is in terms of um, cell phone um, ownership and usage, we still have a lot of work to do to bring financial services to them. So, you know, all of that to say that um, the, 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 the future um, of, of cash is not its disappearance, but there is actually still so much work to do uh, as far as um, um, financial services, as far as just inclusion and then innovation, that um, we're, still, we're still in the very early days of this story. You know, it's funny you say that because um, I think I was around the age of maybe eight or nine when M-Pesa was brought about in Nairobi. Mm. And the first time it was like, oh, there's, there's, there's money in your phone. You can send money directly to somebody mm-hmm. through your phone. And at first it was like very, 
people were very skeptical of the safety of it and the security that came with it. Of course. But now, but now saying I don't have Mpesa, it's like what? Are you serious? <laughs> You'll be banished. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. You're, even now, like during during the even now during the COVID situation, it's like. We don't want to touch cash. Mm-hmm. Cash is very dirty right now. So if you don't have Mpesa, maybe swipe your card or something. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy to see how things have evolved and how mindsets have also changed as we go. And definitely the future of cash is digital money. And, you know, essentially it's what, what the numbers you see on your account on the screen and not necessarily the amount of paper you have in your wallet. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, you mentioned COVID. I think it's funny you say, you know, cash is is dirty right now. Cash has been dirty for a long, long time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So it's nasty. Um, But I think COVID uh, clearly has has brought that nastiness to our attention um, more acutely and, um, and, and is, you know, kind of generally encouraging everybody to realize that okay, how do we how do we just reduce the risk of 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 spreading this thing? Right. Um, if if one way we can do so is to just reduce our contact with, um, with 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 money with paper money that's traveled through we don't know how many markets how many hands. Well, right. let's do that. Yeah. All right. So speaking of recent innovations, we've talked about M-Pesa, maybe e wallets, contactless payments, and digital financial services. Um, in your opinion, how can young entrepreneurs on the continent leverage this opportunity where we have digital money? Oh, um, the sky is the limit. I mean, um, as, I, as I said earlier, honestly, um, we're still at the very early stages of this, um, of this adventure. And, um, and we're still working on being as frictionless as cash. Right. So there's there is there are still if you look at just the, the, the general ecosystem around what it takes to deliver these services, um, um, you know, e-wallets, etc., there's still a lot of work to be done. So I think um, wherever you look, you know, however you look at it, I see um, sort of the the, the big um, players like Orange Money, for example. Yeah. Pesa, almost as you know, okay, being at the center, and 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 our role, um, ideally, over the next ten years, is to build an ecosystem. Yeah. Now we we can't do everything, right? So that's where I think the opportunity is for, for for young entrepreneurs or your entrepreneurs of any age, um, and especially entrepreneurs of any gender. Let me just say, also, um, to to come and bring a, a brick because they can focus on either an opportunity or a problem and solve it. Um, in a way that we we you know perhaps don't um, have the resources or the time or frankly maybe the innovative innovative muscle to see the problem or its solution in such a new light. So I think there's definitely great opportunities to to build different things, whether it's an application or a service or you know around the infrastructure that we are already putting in. In place, um, I think also for entrepreneurs, it's it's usually easier for for people to think about what I call sort of the customer facing aspects. So everybody thinks about building an app or you know um, doing something that touches directly the, the the final customer, which is great. Yeah. But I think people also need to remember that when it comes to financial services, there's a whole lot that needs to happen. On the back end, I actually just um, uh, today published a short little note about identity okay. and, uh, you know, how identifying the client is really at the core of 
um, the requirement of for being in a financial services provider in general, like the, the, the regulators, this is the most basic thing. You know, being able to say who who is your customer and how do you how do you how do you verify that he or she is who they say they are. So that's been done traditionally with you know you go and fill out a form, you give a copy of your ID. Yeah. We, we we it used to be literally reams of paper that the bank would keep um, in in its agency, you know, in, in its in its branch somewhere. Yeah. Um, then you know we maybe began to scan it and maybe keep keep it keep logs somewhere that can be consulted. So clearly, there is still a ton that can be done to fully digitize the process of 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 getting to know a customer. Because I actually believe we have the tools. Like technology does a far better job of that, frankly, than a piece of paper. Um, now, clearly, there are issues that need to be taken into account when it comes to privacy and access to data, and all of that needs to be on a permission basis. But when you put together um, the you know phone data and the movement data and the uh, mobile money transaction data of someone um in you know with their name their phone number etc my point is you have a lot of information about a, a customer that gives you a far better ability to identify them and to verify um the veracity of of the of the given identity um than ever right yeah so but you know i think the 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 regulation needs to catch up with the tools and and it's understandable that they are taking their time because there are, as i said a lot of issues around especially privacy and and making sure that the customer remains um sovereign over his or her data that you know we shouldn't sort of just rush into doing these things but my larger point in bringing up that 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 example around identity is that we actually have a lot of tools um at our at our disposal to be able to innovate on what I call the back office or the support um, infrastructure and technology. That's, a, that's another area that I think entrepreneurs can um, add a lot of value and can innovate and can create, not just um, in creating services for the customer directly. This podcast is brought to you by Venture by AOU a free course for entrepreneurs. Do you want to know how to overcome entrepreneurial challenges from real life experiences? Well, Venture is an online course designed for young and aspiring entrepreneurs. It features more than 10 AOU entrepreneur leaders who will guide and inspire young entrepreneurs. You can find Venture on venture.aouuducation.com. Once again, venture.aouuducation.com. Venture, a course for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Now back to our conversation. Okay, so more or less yeah. just... Does that make, make sense? Yeah, so more or less just making it um, much easier to maneuver with your data or the, the statistics or the analytics or the analysis that they have um, within their venture, per se. Am I getting that right? Exactly. So that's that's an important part of it. But it's also to understand that um, it's not just about our usage of the data. A lot of this also feeds into the central bank and its need to 
to identify and understand who the customers are and what they're doing. Right. Um, because overall, their ultimate um, goal and responsibility is the stability of the financial system. So they need to yeah. be able to comfortably regulate all corners of the financial system, not just the banks. Um, so whatever um, you know can be done to bring more efficiency or even more transparency um, to the things that they ask us to do to, to, to be able to give them comfort around the stability of the system, the, you know, that's a good, very good thing. Right. Right. Great. So, um, onto scalability, um, on the continent, it's harder for a startup to scale to, on the African continent due to, um, a fragmented financial infrastructure. So what are some of the bottlenecks here that make this challenging? And if so, how are they getting solved by key financial institutions? Um, well, you know, that's that's a whole topic for <laughs> for a podcast. Um, so I, I won't presume to touch on all of them, but um, there are, let's start, you know, since we, we started talking about, you know, regulation. So there are fragmentation around regulatory frameworks is, a, is an issue if you're trying to scale around the continent. Because, you know, if Central Bank A is doing one thing, Central Bank B is doing something else, yeah. clearly, um, that just there's a multiplication of the need to, to meet those requirements that takes a lot of resources. And frankly, the 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 machine you need to um to meet those regulatory requirements um is not always something that um, that a startup will have the means to to do which right. is why i think you know perhaps for them it makes a lot of sense to partner with the likes of us or the likes of the banks who are built um from the ground up with that um that dna that dna around um internal control the dna around um, regulatory um, um, sort of compliance, the DNA of compliance. So, um, so just going back to the you know the the beginning of my point, which is having so many different frameworks is uh, is an issue. So, to the extent that there could be some form of harmonization across regions or across central banks, that would be a, a very big plus for for a startup that's looking to scale. Um, because truth be told, I mean, there are a, a, a bunch of large markets um, like a Nigeria or a, a South Africa and Ethiopia or Kenya. Yeah. But the, the rest of the continent um, is, is sort of medium to small size markets. So um, in order to get to those countries, it would help if they had regulatory frameworks um, that, um, that, that are similar or frankly are the same. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's definitely a, a big issue in terms of, uh, of, of being able to scale. Um, I also think that, um, you know, being able to attract capital is also, has been an issue over time, as much as, you know, every year you do see the reports and, and it shows that there is, um, uh, you know, a great, a great deal of, of growth in whether it's venture capital or just capital coming to our shores, but, Clearly, um, I think the need is 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 greater still. Yeah. Um, and and it's not also what is I think key is that it's not just 
um, capital on its own that I think makes a difference um, on the entrepreneurial journey. I think it's important that that capital be um, intelligent about how it's deployed. So it be deployed to um, towards um, solving real problems. Uh, as I was saying earlier, it's, it's, it can't just be a copycat. Um, I, I always say you need more, fewer dog walking apps, more mosquito zapping apps. Yeah. So let's just, let's, how, about, how about we direct capital to things that, that on, are an actual issue for us on the continent? Um, and for that, I mean, I do think that we need um, more of us, with, you know, more Africans, especially more African women and more African um, professionals and entrepreneurs who are living on the continent. When I say living on the continent, that on the day-to-day basis, they can observe or, or, or simply even live through the challenges and see the opportunities because I think that being on the ground gives you that appreciation that you can then bring to the tables where those decisions are being made around capital allocation. Um, um, but I, that that continuum isn't perfect yet. There is definitely a disconnect, I think, between um, you know the investment committees of the investment funds or even the the the, the ones, um, the fund managers um, who are still largely male, um, um, uh, and kind of obviously seeing the world through their eyes. And then you know the the, the people on the ground who are living here, running businesses, um, raising children. Um, across the, the the various parts of the continent, yeah. so you know, I think that's what capital needs to be. It, it a needs to be more abundant, clearly, but it also needs to be a lot more strategic, a lot more um, targeted, um, and and obviously also, you know, I think are to make it through the entrepreneurial journey on this continent, you do need support, you do need mentoring, you do need. Um, to be plugged into, um, you know, the networks that can help you through that journey because it's definitely not an easy one. And, and it's not easy not just because of the, you know, sort of infrastructure or the challenges of business, but I think just it can be a very lonely journey trying to build um, something and trying to lead and trying to figure things out as you go, um, as much as you can be animated by an incredibly creative and an energetic spirit um, I think what matters um, is to win the marathon. It's not a sprint and it's not about how you do out the door or whether you raise the first round of money. It's Are you going to be around in, in five or 10 years? Will you have made an impact um, on, on, on people at large? But more importantly, and this may sound surprising, but more impo- importantly, will you have made an impact on the people you directly work with? Yeah. Um, and is that impact positive? Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that topic of scalability later on in the future. Maybe we could have you on the podcast once again. <laughs> um, so you can, you know, really talk about it in depth. Um, but, you know, from hearing you speak, you talk a lot about... Um, women empowerment, women in entrepreneurial spaces, um, typically being women having, having to include them, include themselves in spaces that they're not necessarily included in. So they'll have to like, you know, fight for their chances and their opportunities. So maybe you can tell me more about like your experiences as a woman in this space of the, of the industry that you're in and, you know, why you're so passionate about having women having the same opportunities that 
you know others would have um you know it's it's in many ways it's um, it's basic math and i think you know it does it make sense to exclude you know half the half the talent and and have the energy right. and have the brains and have the you know however you want to look at it um and for yeah. me i think there's a there's a, a level of urgency that this you know that that covid has brought um in 2020 it's not that these issues weren't um real or weren't being talked about or weren't being tackled um prior to you know 2020 but personally yeah. at least as i'm kind of i'm trying to live through this pandemic um while you know leading a team raising children and asking you know myself a lot of questions around what 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 has this time come to to teach us what are we going to take out of this to make it something um right. useful for for the next decade um and f- and and essentially one of the things i certainly have taken out of it so far is sort of the the urgency in in how we live our lives and the urgency in going straight um it's not about rushing but it's going about going straight to what matters most and and asking yourself how are you going to contribute to that uh, no matter how minute your contribution is so you know back to why women it just makes when there's urgency we really need all the hands on deck so it's even more critical that um we yeah. we all um participate um and we all bring our best selves and there's really i i just think there's any time for you know f- fight around you know whose table is is it and do you have the right to sit here i think you know as women um it's important that we feel um welcome <laughs> we 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 sit around the table we build our own tables um however we want to see it um i think first of all mentally we have to be very clear about the fact that um we have the right to be in those spaces and because we have something um useful to share we have a voice and it counts we have a talent and it and it's useful whatever that might be now obviously it's always a personal journey to finding that voice in oneself and then to to isolating the talent that we want to lead with um as as multi-talented as we all are um and 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 that work is very much you know pers- one that one has to do for oneself um and it's 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 lifelong it's it starts with the ability to um to 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 be self-aware it's about the ability to um get to know oneself with every situation to step back and ask yourself what have i learned from this what have i learned about myself from this um and how does this uh, bring more to light my superpower and then how does this bring more to light some of the um some of the development areas i have and then how do i take all of that and go back into whatever room it is that i want to be a part of. So um so yeah so to me um it's not about you know inviting women in or making space for them we, we're already here um and i also just think right. that we are you know we're central um to to the future not just from a just basic sort of biology perspective of of birthing the children and 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 taking the 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 people forward as as a people right. um but beyond that i think we were definitely what we bring to the table um is is uh, is indispensable so we 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 there's no choice especially in when 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 there's fire on the mountain like in 2020 
But I definitely um, see where you're coming from with that. So if I'm understanding what you're saying, it's more of um, just the voice has been there. The space has been there. Um, the conversations have been heard or, or had. And we're just more or less trying to highlight it or bring or amplify the voice of having women in these spaces because it's not talked about enough it's talked about but it's not talked about enough yeah and beyond the voice is the action that's what i was saying by there's fire on the mountain in 2020 so beyond talking <laughs> <laughs> there's work to be done right and um i recently have had a read of your article on leading changes um leading change in the time of adversity and you know you've talked about how it's all about the team only a few decisions matter in the end. Um, your job is to decide. And lastly, leaders are both learners and teachers. And um, I'll, I'll shamelessly say that I was stalking your Twitter as well. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's, there's uh, maybe a seminar or sort of like um, a keynote that you were part of that talked about good servant, poor master. And I feel like the article that you wrote about leading um, change in terms of adversity really sort of has um, a correlation to that. If, if, if I'm mistaken, please correct me. Um, so leaders are both learners and teachers as well. So how, how has continuous learning guided you in your career and um, led you to and, and, and leading your team as a trained coach? Oh, it's it's central to what well, central to who I am. I mean, way before my career, I was you could well, before what you could call a career. I mean, even as a child, I was um, a reader, right. um, and um, learning is definitely one of the central values that I grew up with in my family. You know, along with faith and pursuit of excellence, among other things. So. Um, so I actually just fully, you know, accept that uh, that that I've got a bit of a nerd DNA. So um, now the, the the thing that's interesting, though, as one gets older, is to 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 diversify your sources of learning and to understand even that right. there are multiple sources of learning. So clearly, as a child, yeah, I spent a lot of time um, reading and thinking that's where my learning was coming from. But frankly, frankly, you do get a lot of learning from experiential learning. It's you know. From exactly, the pro yeah. from the proverbial, you know, touch the stove once and then you learn something, you know, from that. Um, so as you bring that more to the present, yes, for me, um, continuing to learn from others, continuing to mine um, information, whether it's from the biographies of, of great leaders or mm -hmm. um, from being able to really listen to what you know you're hearing from your team or what you're hearing from the customer um and and really having the patience to turn to dial down your own inner voice that wants to jump in with an answer or wants to jump in with ideas and to just be able to sit back and take in and give space and create space um for others to 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 express themselves i think that is definitely something that um, for me, at least, has been refined by my training as a coach, um, because right. you know, as a coach, you know, the basic thing is you're you're not here to solve people's problems. You're not a therapist in in the classic sense, in the psychology sense. You are here to to listen, ask very good questions, which I think is also a, an incredibly underrated skill. 
um, and to create a framework where you can help somebody find their own um, answers and then to hold them accountable to taking action. I mean, to, if I just summarize quickly what, what it means to be a coach and, and, and to people who lead any kind of team, they will probably hear that as being key to, 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 to running a team as well. Um, um, so for me, I've found that to be incredibly useful in my day-to-day and, um, and then when I say continuous learning, it's also um, continuously learning about your own self and, and never feeling that you have arrived at any sort of port um, when, it comes to, um, when it comes to your own self-development and to your own discovery of yourself. You know, the voyage is just, right. it truly is an odyssey, even though I think the odyssey does end with Ulysses, you know, getting back. But <laughs> this one <laughs> is... Uh, is, is hopefully, you know, sort of just ongoing. Um, and I think it's in, 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 in discovering your own layers, that's what wisdom comes from. Because by this point, I think right. you're quite comfortable with the fact that, yes, you do have intelligence. But the point is, you know, intelligence without values, without ethical fiber, without so- solid grounding, um, which is, is plain dangerous, frankly, as especially as you rise in power or you rise in opportunities to touch other people's lives. So um, so yeah. really at this point, um, personally, I'm, I'm more after wisdom than just pure, pure, pure brain. Right. And lastly, you are an executive, an entrepreneur, an investor, and most importantly, a woman that inspires a lot of people globally. So... Um, as 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 a final takeaway, um, if if nobody has been listening, <laughs> but <laughs> we want to wanted to get it from a perspective like the, the, your key takeaway from this, and you know what advice would you have for young women out there um, who want to aspire to be entrepreneurs or just want to lead self and lead others as well? So may, maybe you can give us maybe two or three advices. Um, for the young women out there. Yeah, I actually love how you put it. Lead self and lead others, right? So it, in that order. So right. let's start with the self. I think, um, you know, just, um, you know, back, touching back to, on, on, on the point I had earlier, your own self-development is really central, um, first and foremost. Yeah. So it has to come first. So you have to be willing to invest in yourself and do whatever you can to get to know yourself better, to give yourself opportunities to grow, to take risks, um, to to be afraid and still do it. Um, what I've learned is that there's never going to be a time where you feel completely that you've got it or you're confident that you're on top of this mountain, you know all this material or you you are great at this. And so don't wait for that to do. I think it's to, to, right. to still be afraid, to still be doubtful and to still have the voices telling you, well, you know, I don't know if that article is original enough well publish it um do put your best foot forward and you will learn from that you will and be willing to learn from that right because um frankly it's the ego that's trying to discourage you because it's so incredibly fragile and can't take any sort of criticism but that's not you that's not the real you and the central you so that that ego needs to be brought under control which essentially is what you're saying which is leading self so i think for for women there's that first part and then you know the 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 second part I think is um, is really sort of facing a world that is constantly trying to um, either put you in your place or ask you to go back into your corner, um, tries to diminish you in whatever way you know. And and for me, 
Um, I would say one thing that, um, you know, I think I was a slow learner. I only discovered, you know, later in life, I wish I'd, you know, my, my goal is to instill it in my daughter early on, is to understand that right. nothing, no one, you know, attacks you who, who didn't see your light in the first place. Because if you were, um, if you were a non-entity, if you had, if you weren't carrying anything good or positive, um, you, they wouldn't see you. They wouldn't notice you. They wouldn't find you to be worthy of their attack, whatever form it takes, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. um, so for me, it's like every time you then face that, you face people who are trying to extinguish your light or trying to convince you that it needs to be dimmed, um, instead of internalizing that and then going into the journey of dimming your own light for their own purposes or to, to assuage their insecurities, is to take a second and say, hmm, if this is happening, then certainly there is a light here and it's my job to make it brighter, not, not the opposite. Now, you may say, well, how do you know the difference between somebody trying to dim your light or somebody and somebody who's trying to give you, say, say constructive criticism as, um, that can help you grow? And, you know, that's where I say go back to point number one, which is the, the knowing thyself, um, because the more you know you, the more you um, know what your strengths and weaknesses are, the more, the more you, you face reality, and this is an important word about who you are, the more you're able to discern um, what, you know, con constructive criticism versus uh, an attempt at dimming your light. Now, I'll tell you, there's probably more attempts at dimming your light on average out there, <laughs> um, so if you want to approach this purely statistically. Right. But my point is, at the end of the day, you know, lead self and make sure you bring your light to, to whatever room you're going into so you are part of those um, bringing a solution, not, not those creating problems. Great. Thank you so much for being with us, Rama. Um, it's been amazing having you on here. You've given us so much insight, so much depth, and so much um, to think about um, in very bite-sized points as well. So... Um, yeah, I really just want to appreciate you for that and, you know, bringing your expertise as well in fintech and, you know, women empowerment. We can see your passion for Africa as well. So, yeah, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. This was fun. Um, um, you had great questions. So <laughs> all, you're, you're a great hostess, um, thank you Savannah. So, <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in on today's episode. Just as a reminder, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Music for a chance to subscribe and have exclusive access to all the gems of knowledge we drop here. This is the AOU podcast, Entrepreneur Leadership in Africa, real stories, real experiences. Thank you, Rama, for being with us today. Until the next time.